Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. How y'all doing? What's up? Um, I say um a lot, so I do apologize again because I know that it's like not as prevalent when I'm speaking, but then sometimes I like hear it, of course, and I'm just like, fuck. Anyways, um, if you have not already, please, please, please make sure you are subscribed on YouTube, even if you listen on iTunes or Spotify, just uh, you know, get those numbers up. Every little click of the button helps. Um, also, if you're listening to this and not already subscribed, uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube and not already subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, that's a great place to check out. Also, if you could leave me a review, that would be super wonderful and helpful. Um, I read all of them, and your kind words mean a lot to me. Um, and what else? In the next episode, either the, the episode after this or two episodes after this, I'm going to be very excited because I am going to be talking with Christina Sweeney McBaird, um, and I hope I'm saying that right, but I'll get it right in, t- in, t- in time for the the interview, but she wrote um, The End of Men, which is a book that I reviewed on this a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago. Um, really cool um, post-apocalyptic pandemic novel but not related to covid sort of as the title states you know what happens when there's pretty much the end of men on earth and it's just a really cool uh definitely got like shades of margaret atwood um the power by naomi altman like that kind of vibe but i'm um, very excited to talk to her so um that will not be linked below yet but stay tuned for that um and let's see what else i think that's everything oh right (laughs) um in trying to come up with some more fun titles and themes with the books that i choose especially because those books pretty much just happen to be randomly given to me by the library when I have them in order of holds and sometimes then it's fun for me to reverse it rather than choosing the theme and choosing the books to go along with that which is how most people might traditionally um, go about this situation I have instead decided to at least for right now choose the books and then sort of try to find a theme that fits hopefully four of the five if not all five and sometimes it's a stretch but We'll see what we're playing with today. Um, but before I get started on our books, I just want to go on a little bit of a rant. Um, Robin the Frog. Do you know who he is? If you don't, we're going to insert a photo for you right now. Robin is the kind nephew of Kermit the Frog. Um, he was an original cast member on The Muppets Show, um, albeit, you know, just more of a recurring guest star, not so much a regular. Um He's also appeared in Muppet Babies, I believe. He was made his original debut in The Frog Prince, uh, which I actually haven't seen. Need to see. Long story short, though, great, adorable little guy. Like, arguably one of the cutest, if not the cutest Muppet. Um, There's absolutely no merchandise slash swag slash plushes slash anything to be purchased. Um, Star caveat with Robin Granted, there are a couple of, like, random action figure vignette sets that I think did come out in, like, the 80s and 90s that are for sale on eBay, so I don't want to say there's absolutely no Robin merch because there's, like, a slight 1%. Um, There's also a plush floating around on eBay being sold as the Baby Robin plush, Um, but upon further research, because if I was going to shell out $30 for a vintage plush, you know, it better be the real thing, um, it's actually just Baby Kermit, and people are trying to be like, oh, well, Baby Kermit is Robin because Robin small but no they are completely different characters completely different guys i think there's also a few random like red bubble stickers and shirts because of course you can like take an image and put it on anything but like i want a robin plush like yes i am a 27 year old woman 
who um, loves plushes and loves to collect them, much to my boyfriend's chagrin, although I don't think he cares too much. Um, but, <laughs> like, why is there no Robin plush? Why is there no Robin? I mean, yes, there's that one, like, random action figure set that you can buy on eBay, but, like, why are they not there not more? I know he's not as popular a guy as, like, you know, Kermit or Miss Piggy or Gonzo or Fozzie, but, like, he's literally Kermit's nephew, and Kermit is the main character, you know, Kermit and Miss Kermit is the main, he was the narrator of the Muppet Show, like, he is the main guy, like, why is there no merch for his nephew? So, I mean, I know Jim Henson is no longer with us. I don't know what the Muppet Studio is doing right now. Um, they're still putting out stuff. I think there was recently like a Muppet Babies, um, what's the word, revival or, you know, a, why can't I speak? Yeah, like, you know, a new version of Muppet Babies. But I'm asking like, why is there no Robin merch? And I would buy some. I think a lot of Robin fans, you know, maybe he's not like the number one flashiest guy out there, but like a lot of us who um, might be a little slow to warm up, might be a little bit more than the sum of their parts, we kind of want a Robin plush. So if anybody out there has any connections to the Henson or the, I guess Disney now owns the Muppet properties. So I'm not like fully sure on how that works, but I know that the Jim Henson studio still operates separately. Anyways, this is a really long tangent and, um, you know, starting over. Sorry, there was a quick, um, dropped the unplugged microphone, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, this is not a Muppets podcast. This is just a Rachel reaching out to the universe and trying to manifest Robin the Frog from the Muppets plush and or other sort of fun merchandise beyond just like a screenshot that you can take of him and like get on a sticker because that doesn't really count as merch. Um, so with that being said, um, and that's kind of, you know, we're, it's a nice little segue into our theme of the week, which just coincidentally happens to fit these five books in some shape or form or, um, but there's a muddled relationship between not only Kermit and Robin clearly because Kermit gets all the shine and star and Robin's shy and just like wants a little bit of the spotlight and attention but like at least according to the consumer world still doesn't have it um the relationships in each of these books um are complicated and muddled and I know that like complicated relationships is obviously a little more broad but I specifically thought of muddled because um in all of these instances there is a relationship um sometimes that's romantic sometimes that's just a friendship or colleague-based relationship, but either way, um, the way that the one person is interpreting their relationship is very different than how the relation the other person is viewing the relationship. And because we only get to really see the perspective of one character in most of these situations, um, it's muddled on their end and their expectations of what they thought the relationship was, at least to start, are very uh, different than what it's like at the end. Um, and so without further ado, we will get started on this week's uh, five books. How many times can I say this week's five books in one episode? Who knows? Um, anyways, the first one we have is The Kingdoms by Natasha Pulley. So this one is one of those ones that started out and I was not super drawn into it. So if you, when you first start out, if you're like, this is kind of weird and slow, but also like a lot's going on, but nothing is really sticking, promise you it gets better. Just kind of muddle through the, speaking of muddled relationships, muddle through just like the first like 20 pages. And I think it really starts to pick up from there. Um, our main character is named Joe Tournier and he wakes up in this like weird England that is owned by the French, France, the French, that's owned by the French. Um, and so it's already clear that like he's waking up in this universe where something is a little bit off and he has amnesia. So he doesn't really know much about himself. What he is experiencing in the real world um, is not exactly lining up with what like his vague memories are, but he's also not sure if that's from the amnesia. 
Um, so the he then sort of has to travel throughout time because, spoiler alert, the reason he has to amnesia is not only can he travel through time, but the time is also dimensions. So the um, it's a little bit confusing in terms of that aspect of the world building because it's definitely not like a science fiction novel, even though it has those elements. It's definitely a lot more like fantasy, alternative history, um, though there is that time traveling aspect. So jo- Joe's, you know, his quest is to find this mysterious M who wrote him a love letter. Um, and he then spends the rest of the novel trying to find this mysterious M. The search um, then leads him to go to Scotland and join the Navy. And there's a whole bit with a lighthouse. Um, So there's a lot of different places that Joe goes. Um, And then, you know, I won't give away any spoilers for the end, but it does turn out that his relationship with M is different than we thought it was going to be. And it's sort of, you know, the reason the, the, the you were searching for inside of you all along. I don't want, it's definitely, M is not a MacGuffin because M is a real character and does serve a real purpose, but the relationship that Joe has with M not only changes because a human being naturally changes through the course of time, but when you're literally going through a changing history that is affecting Joe's relationship with M, it gets confusing. Um, but it's definitely, you know, it's original. It's a lot happens. Um, like I said, bits and pieces of it don't always fully drive together. Um, but if you're looking for something a little bit different, if you're into historical fantasy, genre bending, time traveling with a muddled relationship in it, um, then check out this one. And next we have Kate and Waiting by Becky Albertalli. Um, Becky Albertalli is a young adult novelist who has written um, Love, Simon, which is now a movie and also they made a spin-off series called Love, Victor, and she's written a lot of different young adult novels about this high school universe that takes place in Georgia, although sometimes I think other novels have like made references to other books, but I think that this one kind of takes place outside of that, or I could be completely wrong, and it's just taking place with a different group of people that we didn't really get to know in those books, so forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but our main character, Kate, she... Um, this is a, it's a theater kid novel, so they're performing the musical Once Upon a Mattress, which I actually am not familiar with. I know it's like a classic, and I had to do a little... My own interesting brain wanted to do a little bit of Wikipedia research just to sort of... They do a really great job of describing the characters and the plot, but it's nice to sort of know exactly what they're talking about without actually watching it. I just read the Wikipedia summary. Long story short, Kate and her best friend, Andy, both have this sort of fantastical crush on... They call him... Um, summer mat or like coke mat or something goddamn see this is where the the little details fail me um but they they both have this crush from summer camp and of course in the way that only young adult fortuitous plots can he's the new student at their school and so um he also joins the play and lo and behold is cast as kate's love interest so kate's best friend anderson is gay which is also really awesome because this story is not so much like a gay coming out novel or like a story about a gay teen it's like it would be just the same as if Albert's Anderson, excuse me, Anderson were a girl. And these were two girls going after the same guy just because he's gay doesn't necessarily change anything. Um, so they both are interested in Matt and they both kind of are hot and cold. They say that their friendship won't ruin it and whoever he wants, they'll be happy for the other one. Of course, that's a lot easier said than done, especially when you're like 16 and this is your first love, especially when you have hot and heavy drama and romance. For any theater kids, you'll know that if you liked the person that you were supposed to be married to or kiss or be intimate with, it was always like super fun and exciting and this tingly feeling. But if you didn't like them or, you know, just didn't really care for them, then it was always like super unpleasant. So um, Kate definitely stands in the first direction. Um, But it turns out that Matt... 
um, is not interested in Kate. And that's a spoiler. Sorry, <laughs> I should have said that first. Um, but it turns, I, I won't give away exactly what happens, but it just turns out that the way that Kate perceived the relationship and the way that she perceived herself with Matt is not actually um, what Matt was feeling. And I think because we don't get to know Matt's perspective beyond um, how Kate views it and even how Anderson talks about his relationship with Matt because they're also friends, um, we only get to see that through Kate's eyes. Um, But we also get to see her development in terms of not only growing as um, a friend and as a partner and you know, in in relationships with other people, but also with herself and learning to, you know, there's there's a little bit of a cliche sort of like coming out of the spotlight used to be super nervous and now she's found herself. Um, but it, re- it works really nice with also the sort of coming of ageness of what happens when you and your best friend both like the same guy, which I think pretty much everyone can relate to in some way or another. And next we have Lesson in Red by Maria Hummel. So I actually had no idea that Maria Hummel is a professor at University of Vermont, which is my... Uh, what's the word? My home, my alma mater. <laughs> um, but I think I could be totally wrong on this, but I do think that she started her um, teaching at least after 2016, because while I was not an English major, I do did take a couple of English classes and I was somewhat familiar with the English department and her name is not striking a bell completely. Um, and it's also funny because I read her first book, Still Lives, which came out um, a while, a few years ago. Um, so Lesson in Red is definitely a companion novel. You don't have to have read Still Lives to enjoy it, but it does uh, directly follow the aftermath of the events that happen in Still Lives. So if you're interested in Maria Hummel and her style, definitely check out Still Lives before you read Lesson in Red. Um, but I'll try to avoid huge spoilers again. Um, sometimes I give away the spoilers. I don't know why today I'm feeling a little spoiler free, um, or at least trying because the relationships are muddled. I don't, I want to talk about why they're muddled, but I don't necessarily want to talk about like the aftermath and what happens with the muddling because with muddlement somehow you got to get to the clear somehow. Um, so lesson in red, um, we follow our main character, Maggie, who is fresh off of a disastrous time at an art gallery in Los Angeles. She sort of fleed the city, um, and actually ends up back in Vermont, which is where we meet her again. So I think also I'm partially, um, drawn to this novel because of my own personal connection to Los Angeles, not so much the art scene, which is really, um, picked apart and navigated deftly in this novel. So Maria clearly has experience with that. Um, that combined with this sort of beginning in Vermont and wanting to flee there. I had, you know, I left Vermont to come to Los Angeles versus like fleeing LA to go to Vermont. But either way, um, it was nice to see both parts of my, two of the three parts because I still got Boston. Um, it was nice to see both of those represented. And so this is definitely a little bit more of a thriller, a thriller, but also um, Maggie navigating her relationship um, to, I mean, herself and also her relationship to different women in this novel because um, the way that she sort of navigates herself as a journalist, um, I say women specifically because while they're all also men, and I don't necessarily mean in a romantic way either, but the professional relationships and the professional boundaries she has are definitely... um, in the gray area and they're definitely uh she uses some unconventional methods to figure out ultimately this is a story about um a young girl who died was it suicide was it an art installation was it an accident was she murdered you'll have to read this one to find out (laughs) 
Next, we have Long Division by Kesey Lehman. So this book actually came out in like 2013 or 2014, and it was recently republished. So I read the republished version. Um, and I think that's because Kesey Lehman, this was his first novel, but he became super you know, popular in, in the literary scene, um, at least popped up on my radar when he published his memoir, Heavy, um, which came out, I think, a few years ago. So he was a name that's been on my radar. I think I've also read a collection of his essays or short stories. But Long Division is described as a Twain-esque celebration of celebrity, or sorry, Twain-esque exploration of celebrity, authorship, violence, religion, and coming of age in post-Katrina, Mississippi. So we have our main character, City, and City is um, a complicated young man because not only is he um, growing up, like as, a, as this said, in a post-Katrina world where things are kind of similar to all, our world, but Layman is really great at creating this also sort of like surreal, slightly removed from our world, especially in the way that he uses his racial commentary and then also the way that he uses time travel because, spoiler alert, City time travels back to 1985 through the help of a book called Long Division. Um, there he meets a young woman who he, um, he thinks is just a friend and believes that he has just grown up his entire life with her as just a friend until he finds out some information uh, related to a missing girl in 2013, which is the time period that this takes place. Um, he finds out some information that completely changes what he thought his relationship with this young girl um, was. And so they also encounter the clan um, when they go back to the 60s. So they, there's, there's a lot of different time traveling components here. And I know it, that kind of sounds like crazy and messy, but it, it really works because we're specifically focused on these young individuals and not so much like the butterfly effect. And if they happen to see one person and talk to them, is that going to change history? Yes, but they also kind of already know what's going to happen. So it's like, are these decisions fated for them? Are they doing this, this overarching loop? City is a really fascinating character as a young black adult who struggles with his racial identity while also struggling, you know, with how to present himself to uh, his inner self versus his outer self and his family, um, especially when he is used to living in sort of a more city environment and then goes back to visit his grandmother in the more country environment, which is where the majority of the novel takes place. Um, it is just a really, it's a cool novel about the different, uh, the different selves that we can have and the way that adventure can open up different stories and different avenues and the different paths that we can take. Um, so there's definitely a fantastical element to this while there is some heavier racial. And like I said, I did mention the clan. There is a little, you know, it's, it's definitely not light, but it's definitely could be a lot darker. Um, similar in vain to the story that I'm sorry, the, the novel that I'm going to talk about next. Last, but certainly not least, we have The Other Black Girl by Zakia Dalila Harris. Um, so this was sort of on my radar, sort of, this was on my radar for a very long time, and I just got it from the library, and I think it actually just came out, so I'm excited to have read it. Um, it was marketed as Get Out meets Mirror Rear Window, meets the Stepford Wives, like all of your, those fun social commentary thrillers, which is definitely what um, Zakia was going for and succeeds. Our main character, Nia, Nella, God, see, I can't even say her name right, Nella um, is the only black girl at a publishing house, and she is very, um, her inner 
monologue is very steeped in sort of like how can I get ahead and like how can I both as the only black girl use and not use my race to my advantage and she's been dealing with all of those questions and navigating a white world as a black woman for quite a few years until all of a sudden one day this new black girl hazel shows up as another assistant and while at first nella thinks that that's going to be great and she's gonna have someone else to get along with and everything's going to be peachy keen and this will help you know bring black issues to the forefront um hazel is not actually as nice as she seems and there's definitely a little bit of like nella starts getting these mysterious notes is hazel the one telling her to leave is she stalking her it's very clear that hazel is two-faced and sabotaging her but it's also intercut with a larger story happening which makes it very cool that it's not only about the the very strong and very real relationship between Nella and Hazel because it's not just the sort of like yeah one day I saw her and didn't like her it's like Nella genuinely did really try to make an effort to connect with Hazel and Hazel was just very manipulative and very good at pushing Nella's buttons and Nella tried really hard to make the relationship work but the tension and the way that the two women sort of balance on these tight ropes against each other while also balancing the tightrope of the larger circus of this larger organization that has a Part and these other women whose stories come into play with their stories, um, just really fascinating. It's like if if Younger was far less candy coated and actually focused on race, um, and didn't, instead of a forty something year old woman pretending to be a twenty seven year old woman, no shade to Younger, love it. Series finale will have already dropped by the time of this. Do we think the season was a little bit disappointing? Mm, yes. Talk about modal relationships, though. Anyways, that's it for me. I hope you're having a lovely week day, night, afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. As always, let me know what you've been reading. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads. All that fun stuff is linked below. And until next time, stay reading. Bye.